I don't know what you guys did last night, but uh, I was tricked and deceived by the people who I love most in this life uh, to attend uh, what I thought was going to be a small, you know, small town get together, let the kids get some candy at the Cheryl's Ford campground. And I don't know if, if you went last night, but you would be the only person in four counties that didn't go. It was insane. And like the entire time, once I got there and I saw the cars, I just assumed, thank God I have three kids because tonight I'm going to lose at least one. There's no doubt in my mind. And, uh, and it was the most, they had time of their life. It was the most stressful, heartaching thing I have ever been a part of. I was just, it was, it was, it was amazing, but it was it was stressful. Um, and so normally my Saturday nights, I start, I start you know, uh, winding down around six and we usually have a family day and, and then I'm, I'm, I'm taking some hardcore Z-Quill around seven and uh, I'm, I'm climbing in bed around eight, 8.30 and then trying to get to bed. And I, I was up a little later than normal and, uh, but I woke up this morning excited. And, uh, and I, I know that it's, it's, a, it's a crazy weekend and and there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm sure you guys have got some parties and, and some stuff last night and coming up tonight maybe. And, and I know that, that though this weekend's this weekend, the truth is every single week and every single weekend, there is always something going on. There's always something uh, to distract us. You know, I've got one of our good friends, uh, one of his kids, uh, they're just discovering something we already knew for years, but that, that they may, be, may have a little ADD. And uh, in the conversation, I thought it was funny. He brought it up. He said, you know, they said we were talking to her about not paying attention in class. And she said, but why would I pay attention? There's so many other things to think about. Uh, and, and I, me and him, we could so identify with this moment because that, that was my entire life and still is some days. And, um, and I know that that's true even here now, that there's a thousand things that you can think about. Uh, but I, I want us this morning to give all of our heart and our, our mind, our focus and our attention to this word. Because we're, we're going to teach about something this morning that is actually a difficult topic for me personally to teach on. And that is giving. Giving. You know, we are closing on the land tomorrow and are closing on the, the building project. And, and this is an exciting time in the life of our church. Uh, we've spent the last few weeks celebrating all that God's done over the last 10 years and laying a spiritual foundation for what we believe and know in our hearts he's going to do over the next 10 years. Uh, and in two weeks from now, not this coming, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, we're having our first really in 10 years, a giving Sunday where we're inviting all of our church family local, all of our house churches, all of the people uh, who is a part of Pursuit and, and all the people who God has, has used this ministry in their lives uh, to sacrificially give to God and the purposes of God. And, and I knew over the last few weeks um, that I, the Lord was drawing me to truly teach what giving is. And, and giving something that, that for so many people, it, it, it turns people's minds off real fast. And, I, and I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, growing up, uh, I, I didn't have a ton of positive church experience. And, and, and the church experience I had was just annoying and negative, if I'm just being honest. And, and, and what I saw on most TV preachers and TV shows, uh, in the words of the prophet Ron White, uh, the old comedian, uh, he said, you know, the, the false prophet is like, you're sitting there in a beanbag naked eating Cheetos, uh, and if you send me $1,000, God will give you a house. And, and, and what I learned from Ron White in that moment was that this was a mentality that the world has towards the church. 
because there were so many teachers and preachers uh, twisting scripture and, and laying things out to the point I remember as a teenager thinking to myself, maybe Christianity is just a 2,000 year old pyramid scheme until I really came to know Jesus, saved by his grace, began to study the scriptures, did I truly realize that all of those teachings and all of those preachers and all of those prosperity gospel twisted scriptures, it's not biblical. And what it's done is it's created such a bad taste in the mouth of so many people when it comes to church and money. And so part of my struggle over the last 10 years, and if you've been in, uh, in and around our ministry or you've heard me preach, you know I have no problem preaching truth. I have no problem standing on the word of God, preaching the word of God. I will always shout from the rooftops what the spirit of God whispers in my ear through his word. Uh, but this one subject has always been hard for me uh, to preach. That's why we don't ever make a big deal about giving. That's why the, the offering plates, they stay in the back. We don't make a big deal about it because I never, ever, ever want somebody's view of money to prevent them from hearing and seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so over the last few weeks, this is why I've dug deep in the scriptures to study giving and offering, uh, specifically around the idea of like a giving Sunday and giving to God for the, the, the building of God's house and, and for the, the, the services of God and the ministry of God and ministry to people. And one of the things that I've realized, and I've, I went through and I studied all of Exodus 35, when Moses takes up the very first offering to build the very first structure uh, to kind of house um, the, the ministry of God and, and, and worship and the house of prayer and to when David and Solomon's temple, all the way to when Hezekiah reinstated the temple and he took up an offering and all the way to the New Testament. And there is a series of truths and a series of foundational principles that exist when it comes to giving. And my heart and my hope this morning is that as we go through this, we're gonna spend the vast majority of the day in 1 Chronicles 29, that my hope is that the Spirit of God will give you God's perspective of what giving and offering truly is, where it should uh, start within us and what the outcome of it should be. And so I want us to look at this uh, in 1 Chronicles 29, and I, I want you to understand what's happening here. David has spent his whole life, David was a, a he was an MMA fighter. He was a, he was beast mode. He just, he, he just woke up every day and chose violence. He loved the Lord, but he was a warrior, okay? And, and, and he was so victorious in war, uh, but he loved God so much, and he had a desire to build the house of God, but God told him, David, though you have lived out your calling, and you have done many great and victorious things. Basically, he said, you, you're a man of war and you're a man of violence. And he said, and, and, and it's not gonna be you that gets to build my house. It's gonna be your son, Solomon, who's gonna be a man of peace. And, and, and this was a little heartbreaking to David because he loved the Lord so much. Uh, so David, in preparation for the temple, he spent the last years of his life preparing all of the stuff to build it, the plans and the design. And, and he had everything laid out so that when he died and his son Solomon took the throne, that his son Solomon would have everything that he needed to build the house of God. And in 1 Chronicles 29, David is about to take up an offering basically from uh, himself and from all of the leaders of Israel and all of the people of Israel to build this temple. 
And so through the course of 1 Chronicles 29, we get to see what God's heart is on giving. And it's incredible. And so I want us to see this. Through this, there's gonna be five things that we pull out of this. We're gonna veer a little bit into Exodus 35, but most of this is gonna come out of 1 Chronicles 29. And I just wanna read this. This is, this is King David. After all of his preparation, he's, about, he's close to his death and he's about to take up the, the, the big offering of all of the people to have everything that Solomon needs to be able to build the temple after he dies. This is 1 Chronicles 29, verse one. Then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. This is the first and primary point that David wants to drill into the hearts and the minds of the people of Israel. David is clarifying something that, that at first glance, it, it seems simple. It almost seems like, well, duh. But it's one of those things that it has to be known. It has to be realized. It has to be the foundation of giving. We have to understand that when we're giving, we do not give to man or the cause of man, but that we are giving to God for the purposes of God and the glory of God. David wants us to really understand uh, this, and this, this language is so unique here. He says, the task is great because this palace is not for man, but it's for God. His point of what he's saying is, he goes, we're not building a palace for a human king. We're not building a house for a family. We're not building some big building for business or for politics or for some organization. Uh, we are not building this for human purposes. What we are building, though it is physical, it is a physical building, but we are building it for a deeply spiritual, eternal, great God in a deeply spiritually eternal purposes and for the glory of that God. That what we're building, though it's physical, it's not about the physical building, but it's about what is going on spiritually inside the building. And to really kind of bring this to light so that we can see you know, exactly what David's talking about is, is that you can look at this building, you can look at this shopping center. And if you're not, if you're not from around here, if you're part of our house churches and you're out of state, I want you to know that right now we're in a shopping center and that 15 feet from where I'm standing right now, 20 years ago, they used to kill cows, cut them up into steaks and you bought them and fed your cholesterol issues. That, that this right here was a grocery store. That Within this building, there was a liquor store. Uh, there was a, a computer place that was about 10 feet of a computer place. And then it was, they had gambling machines in the back. Uh, there was a bar. It was a hardware store, a salon, and countless other things over the years. And so this building could be used for a thousand different things. What David's saying is that we are about to build something that is physical. It's a physical structure, but we are committing it and dedicating it to God and the purposes of God and the glory of God. And then when we came in here and God opened up the miraculous doors for us to, to be in this place over the last 10 years, we have seen deep, spiritual, powerful, eternal work take place in this place. And in, in, in 10 years, over 800 people have come into this place, given their life to Christ, found eternal life in Jesus, and baptized into eternal life here in this very room, right here and right now. 800 people in 10 years. There are dozens to hundreds more who have given their life to Christ uh, that, that we didn't necessarily baptize. 
I, I think about the, the hundreds and hundreds of teenagers over the last 10 years that have been impacted and affected uh, by the gospel in the house and outside the house in our different ministries. I think about the events and the conferences and the things that, that uh, our church and our, our worship team and our different teachers and leaders have been a part of in and outside the community. I think about the, the worship songs uh, that have come out of this house and the amount of hours people spent worshiping God to music that was produced right here in this building. Again, 15 feet away from where they killed cows and made good, good steak from what I hear. Anybody in the room? ever eaten from this grocery store back in the day? One person, local? He's like, absolutely. <laughs> I think about all of the crazy, amazing things that God has done. I think about the uh, countless marriages that walked into this room and we were their last hope. I, rem I will never forget one testimony of a, a group several years ago said they were literally Monday morning going to sign, sign divorce papers, woke up on Sunday and said, let's just go find a church somewhere. We, they said their exact words to me were, you didn't have a steeple on it, so I figured you'd be okay if we showed up in shorts. That was exactly what they said. They walked in, they sat down, the Holy Spirit wrecked their lives in the greatest way. They wound up not getting divorced. One of them gave their lives to Christ and within two years, they were in ministry. I think about the stories like that, the countless stories of God changing people people's lives forever. That's what David's talking about. When he says the task is great, it's not because building a physical building for God is any more difficult than building a physical building for some other purpose. The task is great because we're dealing with deep, eternal, powerful things. The hope is that as we give and as we, we sacrificially hand our resources over to the God and the purposes of God, that God will take that, multiply that, and continue to use that to have the gospel of Jesus Christ transform lives and transform families and transform the culture around us for decades to come. That's what we're doing. That's what we're giving to. And David wanted us to make sure that we knew, that he knew, that his leaders knew, and that the people knew that what we're doing here, this is not just another building, that this is deep, serious, eternal, powerful things. And it's all for God, the purposes of God, and the glory of God. David goes on in verse two, and he says, now with all my ability... I have made provision for the house of my God, gold for the gold articles, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and slabs of marble, all in abundance. Moreover, now I want you to pay attention to the transitional language here. Moreover, besides that, and what he means here is besides what I did as king, so he says, I'm, I, he's the king of Israel. He had a duty as the king of Israel to prepare organizationally and structurally uh, and financially everything that as much as he could uh, prepare for the next government or the next king, which was his son, to do everything they needed to do as king. Now his language is changing because he's about to go down to his personal life. And you'll see why in just a minute, but he's wanting to take off the crown for a second and step out of the king role. And he wants to just speak to them as a fellow lover of God. He says, moreover, because of my delight in the house of my God, 
I now give for it my personal treasures of gold and silver. Over and above all that I've provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of a fur, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the buildings for the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, the sentence is incredibly powerful and important. Now, who will volunteer to consecrate himself to the Lord today? In the Hebrew, it says, who is willing to come hands filled for the Lord today? That word that translated con consecrate, it literally means to be filled. It's the idea of taking something, consecrating it, making it holy, and then giving it as a gift or an offering to God. I want you to pay attention to the language and you have to see what David's doing here. David takes off his, his crown, steps out of the king role. He steps into this personal place and he wants his leaders to know and he wants all the people to know, I did my duty as the king and prepared. Now I wanna talk to you as someone who loves God just like you do because I delight in the house of God. I delight in what goes on in the house of God. I delight in the worship of God. I love when the Levites and the ministers come together with the instruments that David, some of which David created himself, invented himself, that they come and that they sang music and, and they, they sang out hymns and they sang songs of praise and that they glorified God day in and day out. He said, I, I love this. I love that there's teaching priests, teaching people the law of God and the words of God all over the temple. I love that, that, that we come together in certain times uh, as corporate body together and that we glorify God. I love, I love the house of God. I love to worship God. I love the prayer of God. In fact, one of his Psalms multiple times in multiple ways, uh, he said, listen, the one thing I seek, God, the one thing I ask is that I would spend every day in the house of the Lord. That David loved, he delighted, he had joy in God. And he wanted them to know that's why he was giving. This wasn't David just bragging about his wealth. He wanted them to know, I'm giving personally, not as a duty as a king, I'm giving personally because I delight in the house of God and in the worship of God and what it's doing. I, I wanna give. And then he comes down and he's this sentence. Now, who, who will volunteer to consecrate? Who is willing to give? He's, his language is so specific here. And I'm gonna tell you the heart of this, what David's doing. David wants to make sure that everybody listening knows he is not asking them as the king to give. He wants to make sure that everybody knows that this is not a command, that they don't have to give. He wants to make sure everybody knows that this is not a tax and they are not obligated to give. David's language is so specific and it is unique to the conversations that God has with his people around giving over and over and over again. In fact, I believe without a doubt that David uses this language because this is the very language that Moses used in Exodus 35. David goes on and on and on about his love for God's word, that he, he sought after God's word daily, that he memorized God's word, that he used it literally as a light to his path every single day that he, go, he wrote the longest chapter in the Bible was all about David's love for God's word. So there is no doubt in my mind that David knew the heart of God when it came to taking up an offering to build temples. And I know in Exodus 35, and I, I wanna read this, that Exodus 35, I know in my, I believe without doubt, this is what influenced David. That this is why David used the language that he used, willingly, willingly, who will willingly come. 
Because this is the command of, of God. This is the heart of God to giving in Exodus 35. The reason why this is important in Exodus 35, and the reason why I think David leaned on this, is because in Exodus 35, this is the first time that God took up, commanded Moses to take up an offering to build the first physical structure that housed the worship and the prayer of God. And I want you to read this, and I, I'm going to read it, and I want to teach it based off what it says, not what some people want it to say. All right, I want to read this. Exodus 35, verse 4, Moses also told the whole congregation of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Let everyone whose heart is willing bring an offering to the Lord. So I want to be very clear here. God did not command the people to give. God commanded Moses to take up an offering. And there is a significant difference. God did not command the people to give. God commanded Moses to give the people an opportunity to give. In fact, God's language that he used with Moses caused Moses to follow up that command with this sentence, let everyone whose heart is willing bring an offering to the Lord. And if you go through and you read all of Exodus 35, you will see the word willing over and over and over again. And if you go through and you read all of 1 Chronicles 29, where our main scripture for today, you'll see the words willing over and over again. If you go to Hezekiah, uh, when they take up an offering to reinstate the temple in the house of worship, you will see the concepts and the word willing over and over again. When you go to the New Testament and you see the teachings of the New Testament in Acts and the teachings of Paul in Corinthians, you will see the concepts concept of willing over and over and over again. Even Paul says, never give under compulsion. It's almost as if God did not want a single cent given to his house that was anything other than a willing heart of worship. It, there, there are commands that God gives about finances in scripture. There's commands uh, when God tells us, hey, we need to honor God with our wealth. In, in Proverbs, there's wisdom that he teaches us. There, there are things laid out. But when it came specifically around building the house of God and investing into the house of worship and prayer, God went out of his way to make sure that his people knew you do not have to give. In fact, God said almost as if, if you're not willing, I don't want it. You gotta think about it. God does not need anything. Moses went out of his way. And this is what I think drove David to be so specific with this, to make sure the people knew it wasn't a command, that it wasn't a tax. This is one of the most important points of today's message. And if you write, if you take notes, you need to write this down. When we give, we give willingly as worship unto God. And that's it. You should never give out of compulsion. You should never give uh, out of obligation. You should never give, ever, ever give out of guilt or out of fear. You should never give to try to get something from God or manipulate the hand of God. Giving is an act of worship and that's all it ever should be. 
And I know that there are so many preachers and teachers and so many churches and thought processes that paint giving in a different way, but giving is one of the greatest opportunities of worship. And the second that it becomes anything other than that, it's not what God intended it for it to be. It's an act of worship. And, and the languages, and if you go through and you read that, it, it's almost like they did it in a way to where if you didn't give, no one would know. God wanted, he wanted no manipulation in it. He wanted no pressure in it. That's why we don't pass around offering plates. That's why we don't make a huge deal about it at the end of service. We just say, hey, the thing's in the back. If you wanna give, give. That's why in 10 years, we have never ever had any kind of hardcore pressing of we need to give and we need to go because we've always trusted God. I, I fundamentally believe that those churches and those pastors, those teachers that hound on this and they try to bring this heavy conviction, they try to bring this heavy guilt and this heavy fear, it's because they do not have faith that God will provide. God's provision is not dependent on your faithfulness. It's dependent on his faithfulness. God will provide whether we are faithful or not. That's the heart of our church. And I want you to know that's, that's something to clap about. If you want to clap, you can clap about that. In 10 years, every single time we have been in need, God has provided. Every single time. And I have never died. It, I'm not saying I'm up here like David charging on to kill Goliath. There's been hours where I'm weeping in, in, in faithless fear and prayer, praying, God, I believe it, but please help my unbelief, like the guy in the New Testament. But I'm telling you, as I look back over 10 years, every single thing we've ever needed and beyond, God has provided. And God does not want his house built on guilt and fear and compulsion and obligation. He wants his house of worship built on worship. And that's what giving is. That's what offering is. When we give, we give willingly as worship for God. And if you, if you go on uh, and, and, you, and you continue reading through Exodus 35, there's another unique set of scriptures that come up surrounding this idea, but it takes it just a little bit deeper. And I, I want to I read this in Exodus 35, starting with verse 20. So in 4 and 5, he introduces this command to take up an offering. And he said, whosoever heart is willing to bring an offering, bring it. And then they go through the things that are given, some of the things that are needed. And then in verse 20, we see the response of the people. Exodus 35, verse 20, it says, then the whole congregation of Israel withdrew from the presence of Moses and everyone whose heart stirred him and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all of its services and for the holy garments. I want you to look at this language. And everyone whose heart stirred him and whose spirit prompted him. What, what stirred up their hearts? What, what stirred up their affections for God in this moment? And, and the outcome of this, which I think is so beautiful, the outcome of this is, is that when they started, their hearts were so stirred, their affections for God were so stirred that they gave and 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 they gave till they had so much they didn't know what to do with it. And Moses said, I got to stop giving. We probably won't do that. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like if you guys are giving and giving and giving, we're just gonna keep building and expanding. But like if God says stop, we'll say stop. But I'm just saying, probably not. But it, got, it, was, it was so much 
that he said, stop. The same thing happened, and you'll see this in just a minute in 1 Chronicles 29. There was an abundance that was given. In Hezekiah, the language was heaps. There was heaps. There was so much given that they didn't only reinstate the main temple in Jerusalem and in Judah, but they, they sent teaching priests and, and Levites and ministers all over the cities of Judah and all over Jerusalem. They were able to fund the entire nation. Uh, that, that We see this in, uh, uh, Paul testifies that there was just an abundance when people gave. When, when in the New Testament, right in Acts, it says everybody came together when they just gave. There was so much resources left over. They were able to fund the ministry. They were able to fund expansion. They were able to love on people, take care of the poor. That this is the model of giving in the Bible. When you give out of worship, you'll always have enough to do whatever it is the Lord calls us to do. So but I ask you, what stirs their heart to give like this? There's no doubt in my mind that in this moment, and if you go through and you read the, the few chapters before and some of the chapters after, Moses starts to remind the people of all of the greatness of God and who God is and what God has done for them. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that in this minute, uh, in this moment, that their hearts begin to recall. I mean, these were people of slavery. These were people who were uh, deeply enslaved to the Egyptian regime and that they cried out for 400 years in darkness for God to save them. And God came in power uh, and removed them and set them free and brought them out of that land of slavery, destroyed their enemies forever behind them, provided for them, took them to the mountain and, and showed up in presence and in power and said, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want to be your father and I want you to be my children that God brought them in and provided for them and showed them goodness and power. And I know that in that moment, they reflected on how much God has done for them and who God was. Uh, and they just, it just broke open and they wanted to worship God and they overflowed with giving. Their story physically is our story spiritually. That's the, that's the heart of what God has done for us. God created us. God gave us life. We were born into sin. We have rebellious hearts and hostile minds. We, we, we sin and we go against God and in our sins and in the darkest moments of our life, it's in those moments that Jesus Christ died for us. That it's in those moments that Jesus laid down and he suffered and he took our wrath so that, so that we could have a forgiveness of sins and so that we could know the Father so that he could put his spirit inside of us. And the biggest reason God put his Holy Spirit inside of us was so that his spirit, as Romans 8 says, was testify with our spirit that we are children of God and that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. That God went into the darkness and he pulled us into his marvelous light. That he took us in this life and he's given us salvation. That he saved us that he has a hope for us and that when death finds us and it will find us, that he took the sting of death. We have no fear of death because we know death is now just a doorway to eternal presence of God. That, that heaven and being in the presence of God, the Bible says there is it's so much greatness that we cannot even imagine how amazing it will be. That we don't deserve a thing, but he's given it all to us. And I think that, that is what stirred their hearts. That, that, that's what God wants us to give out of this. In, in between services, uh, someone sent me a message and, and they said, you know, it's, it's the, the, the heart of it is the more that I know how much God loves me and the more that I, I see who God truly is and his view of me and all that he's done for me, the more I can't help to just overflow with giving. That is at its base the heart 
heart of what giving is and always should be, a, a response of our stirred affections and our stirred heart and our prompted spirits unto God. When we give, we give out of stirred hearts and prompted spirits. That it is, it's, it is not compulsionary. It's not just, it's us coming to terms with God and his goodness and who he is and all he's done for us. And we return in worship and giving is one of the ways that we do that. And that, that's the heart of the people's response. After David laid this out, I want to read this to you, the response of, of the leaders and the people, 1 Chronicles 29, 6. Then the leaders of the households, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly toward the service of God's house. They gave 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehu, the Gerashonite, and the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. They had given to the Lord freely and wholeheartedly, and King David also rejoiced. Now, what happens now when they see the abundance? David responds to this. And I, I wanna make sure that we understand the full situation, that we have, there's no confusion on what's just happened because David's response is incredibly unique. So what happens is, is King David calls the entire, all of Israel together. And he says, listen, as a king, and, and as the government, we have set up and we have prepared and we have prepared all of this stuff for this temple for God. And now I'm stepping down as a king and now personally, because I love the Lord and I delight in the house of God, I'm giving personally. So who gave first? David. Everybody say David. David, David gave. And then he said, now who is gonna, who's willing to also give to this? And all the leaders gave and all the people gave. So this is what on three, just to make sure we're all aware, I want, I'm gonna say who gave and everybody's gonna say everyone, all right? One, two, three, who gave? Everyone, everyone, everyone gave, everyone gave. Now, if this was us and we, we do this on Giving Sunday and we show up and there's $5 million in there, that'd be amazing. I'm gonna be pumped out of my mind. I'm gonna be like, dude, we're awesome. We, we crushed it, we did this thing. Not really because I want you to read David's response to this. David gave, the leaders gave, the people gave. But this is how David responds to this. In 1 Chronicles 29, 10, then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly and said, may you be blessed, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the splendor and the majesty for everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. So everything on earth belongs to you. He's, he's laying a foundation. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all, both riches and honor come from you. And you are the ruler over all. In your hands are power and might to exalt and give strength to all. So he's laying a theological foundation. God is God. 
in everything in heaven is God's and everything on earth is God's. The universe is God's. He is the creator and the maker of all and riches and honor and wealth and power. All of that is God's and he gives it to whom he wants to give it to, but all things belong to God. Then in verse 13, he says, now therefore, because all of that is true, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you and from your own hand we have given to you. For we are foreigners and strangers in your presence as were all our forefathers Our days on earth are like a shadow and without hope. This is David remembering where he comes from. This is David spiritually and physically remembering who he is. Remembering that he was the rejected shepherd boy. Remembering that he was nothing and he was nobody. Remembering that he was out in the darkness alone by himself. And it was out there that God found him. And that God's the one who raised him up and exalted him. That he remembers that the people of Israel all came from Abraham. That he he remembers, he remembers the history. He remembers who he is. And that everything that he has, he has because God's given it to him. He remembers that, that the only reason they're able to give what they just gave is because of the way God had blessed them abundantly. And I want you to think about this. We just went through all of the spiritual craziness that we get from God, our our life, our salvation, our eternal hope, his spirits inside of us. We have been fully adopted, washed by the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are his sons and his daughters. All of the, the heavenly spiritual treasures that we have in Christ, all of it is ours and God gives it to us freely. On top of that, He gives to us physically too. He blesses us abundantly. Everything you have, you have because God's given it to you. You are more blessed than all of us, every person in this room, every person in house church, home church. If you live in this country, if you drive a car and have a roof over your head and and food on the table, you are in the 1% of this world. You are abundantly blessed. Sometimes I think we may need to go hang out in Nairobi for a couple days just to really realize how blessed we really are. God not only just loves on us spiritually and gives us the treasures of Christ spiritually, but he also does, but he gives us the ability to work. He gives us the ability to run business. He gives us the ability. He blesses us financially. Everything that you have in this life, you have because God gave it to you. When we give We give out of what God has already given us. That's the truth. That's the reality. And this was important for David. He wanted to make sure that everybody remembered that, everybody understood that. That everything we just gave, we were only able to give this generously because of what you've already given us. When we give, we give out of what God's already given us. But then the question's why? Why is it like that? David goes on in in, in the next few scriptures 
And he, again, he just says some provocative things. He, he goes on in his prayer as he's also praying, but he's also teaching the people and teaching history. Oh Lord, our God, from your hand comes all this abundance that we have provided. Listen to the language. From your hand comes all the abundance that we have now provided to build you a house for your holy name. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and delight in uprightness. All these things I have given willingly and with an upright heart. And now I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. Now, every time you see the word test, I know there's nobody in the room that likes tests, except for some of those brats who sit on the front row that nobody really likes you. We get it. You're better than everybody else, whatever. But 99% of us don't like tests. Tests are not, especially God tests. They're never about pass, fail. And God's never testing you to figure out what's in your heart. God already knows what's in your heart. There's two things that God does when he tests his people. From Genesis to Revelations, we see there's two things that he does. One is he does it to reveal something to you about where you are. Or two, it's an opportunity to be a part of his purpose, his plan, and his will. That when every time you see the word test, it's one of those two things every single time. This is David stepping into a very powerful spiritual reality where he's saying every dime you give us, every resource you give us, it is a test to do one of two things, to reveal to our hearts who we are and what we really think about God, or two, to give us an opportunity to be a part of his purpose and his plan. And I, I, wanna, I wanna explain this last point like this. I love my family. We're a competitive family. I always grew up competitive. Some, sometimes, you know, people would ask me, are you a bad loser? And I was like, you know, I haven't lost enough to really know, to be honest with you. <laughs> when I do, I'll tell you about it. I'm just kidding. But when we play games at the house, um, you know, play games, me and Hudson, sometimes we'll play against Courtney and, and Aubrey. You know, and just to be honest with you, I know the music's playing and it's a spiritual moment. Just to be honest with you, I smash Courtney and Aubrey. I just destroy them. Playing basketball, smoke them, not even close. I just hammer dunk on my seven-year-old daughter. I gotta lower it to eight feet, but I can do it. <laughs> I just take them out and it's fun and I enjoy it and I stare at them like they're the enemy. I don't even know why Hudson's even out there. So if I can just smoke them, why do I pass the ball to Hudson at all? Because when that little boy throws up a shot and makes it and his little face smiles from ear to ear, breaks my heart with joy. Because I want him to be a part of the game. I want him to be a part of the moment. I want him to share in the victory. I don't wanna just watch, I don't want him to just watch his dad be victorious. I want him to be a part of the victory. I want him to share in that moment. And that concept is what David is drawing out of this moment. And David wants everybody, all the leaders and all the people, and he wants me and he wants you to all know, everything belongs to God. In everything you have, God has given it to you. 
and he's not giving it to you to test your heart to see if you're wicked or evil, to see if, to see if you're, you, know, you truly honor God or not. It's, it's not a pass or fail test. It is an opportunity that he is giving you to be a part of his victory. When we give, we truly give to be a part of God's plan and his purpose and his will. When he blesses us, this was the way God designed the whole thing. He, he created the world, he put Adam and Eve in it, and he said, now take over. I give you the dominion and the authority over it. You know, name the animals, work the ground, produce, go, multiply. God wanted us to be a part. I don't know why God loves us the way he does, but he does. And he wants us to be a part of us. He doesn't want us to just watch him be victorious. He wants us to take part and be a part of the victory and be a part of the plan. And giving is one of the most significant ways he does that in our life. And that's what David is pointing out. That's what David's closing on. He's like, I want you guys to understand, giving, giving is an act of worship. That's all it ever should be. Giving is a blessing to us more than it is a blessing to God. That giving is an opportunity for us to give back to God just at an act of gratitude and thankfulness and joy. When we give, that's what giving is. That's what giving should be always. An act of worship that comes from a place of gratitude and thankfulness and joy. And we get to be a part of what God's doing. We get to share in his plan and share in the victory and be a part of his will. Job said his purpose cannot be thwarted. It will not be stopped. But in God's goodness and in his glory, he lets us be a part of it. That's crazy to me. And David closed with this, and I'm going to close with this. This one prayer, verse 18. Oh Lord, God of, Father, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire, everything we just talked about, the heart of what giving really is, that heart of worship, everything we just talked about, keep this desire forever in the intentions of the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. This is David praying a prayer. God, let this desire around giving and around offering and around worshiping God like this, let this desire be forever in the intentions of our heart. God, let all of our hearts be directed towards you. That is my prayer for us in two weeks when we come together, that we will give joyfully, we will give out of gratitude, we will give because God's given us the opportunity to, and I believe that if we will worship God in giving like this, there will be an abundance left over. I believe that God will not only allow us to give, but I think God will allow us to give so much that we have more than we need. I believe that. Do you believe that this morning? Come on, do you believe that this morning? And so two weeks from now, as a family, and I'm asking for the first time in 10 years, I'm asking all of our people, all of our house churches, all of the families that watch from home, if the Lord has used this house in your life, spend the next two weeks praying about what God wants you to give to Him and to this movement and be a part of it. I love you guys with all my heart. It's my honor to be your pastor. I'm thankful for you. And I believe we're just at the beginning of some awesome, awesome things.